0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Carrie Johnson. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Just as a quick note, if our episode sounds different to you, that's because we're recording outside of our studio practicing social distancing. Today, we're joined by analyst Andrew Hewitt to discuss how organizations should address the technological and cultural challenges of remote work. Welcome, Andrew.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, Andrew, obviously the move to remote work has been fast and furious um, over, I mean, depending on where you are in the world, the past few weeks or months, um, and leaders are making really big decisions quickly to protect workers, customers, and the business itself. But maybe you can give us a perspective on how are firms faring from an employee perspective of this move to remote work?
1: Well, we've actually been surveying employees for the last couple of weeks as part of our pandemic EX survey. And what we found is that employees are actually transitioning to remote work fairly well. Uh, We see rising confidence in terms of their responses. Um, 62% of workers in the U.S. today say they actually have the option to work from home at their company has the tech resources to support that. And that's actually up from 56% two weeks ago and 47% a month ago. So there's actually rising confidence that this remote work transition um, is actually going very, very well from the perspective of the employees. 63% of them also say they have the flexibility in their work schedule if they want to take care of family members if they need to. And that's up from 52% um, in the first uh, wave of the survey. And considering that, Only 8% of U.S. information workers in normal times, according to our business technographics um, survey data at Forrester, work from home full time, um, which sounds like a small number, but is actually fairly large in terms of a population number, only 8%. Um, That has gone up to 69% of employees saying that their companies have asked workers to work from home as part of this. Considering that giant gap, I would consider 62% of people saying they have the tech resources they need to be successful in remote work to be relatively successful. Obviously, there are some, um, some issues and challenges along the way, but at least in terms of that transition to a remote work environment from a tech perspective, from the actual perspective of the employee things are going better than expected.
2: That's pleasantly surprising. Of course, people had the ability to work remotely and move around and travel. I think one of the th- things that was the biggest unknown here was going to be scale, right? Mm-hmm. Was what happens when your entire wor- workforce moves in the same day to a work from home environment? What kind of grade would you give you know, uh, uh, companies out there on that?
1: It does very much vary based off of um the environment, the technology environment that organization has in place already, and also their familiarity with um, with remote working overall. You know, I would say those that have had a lot of remote work program structure in place for a long period of time are doing pretty successfully. I'll give them an A. So companies like Dell, for instance, have had, um, a connected workplace program since two thousand and nine. Um, Humana is another example that's had remote working since two thousand and two. For those types of companies, being able to bring that scale to um, to a large number of new remote employees hasn't been really you know that difficult. For those organizations that really have not had any exposure, you know, I'm talking about, big banks um, and financial services, government organizations, this has been a lot more difficult. Um, And I would say scaling this up very quickly, although they've been successful in terms of getting the majority of employees out, it did not come easy. It was a lot of pain. So I would say, you know, C minus in terms of rolling this out um, in a scalable way. Um, A lot of IT teams, despite the fact that employees themselves rate their experience from home as being, pretty good, a lot of IT teams are really struggling to keep up and make sure they have the capacity to support that many new remote workers logging into their systems and and trying to get work done every day. So that's where the pain has been on the IT side, not necessarily on the employee side.
0: Maybe we can dig in there a little bit more, Andrew, in terms of what makes a company successful with remote work or unsuccessful are there key pillars or you know categories of of things right that um you're taking a look at when you're determining okay this organization is getting an a versus a c-minus
1: absolutely so i published a report uh uh, back in 2018 called the four imperatives of, of remote work and under normal circumstances those four imperatives are super important for organizations To be successful with remote work and those four imperatives are technology culture structure and compliance the legal aspects of rolling out remote work in this new environment where you need to roll this out really quickly some of those things are more important and some of those things are, are less important things like structure which typically means you know having good transparency in terms of who gets to work from home? What are the qualifications for working from home? Are there particular roles that can go and work from home? Those types of things are less of an issue when you're rolling this out quickly for everybody and you're not making any qualifications in terms of really who gets to work from home. So the structure pieces haven't been as big of an issue aside from the fact that some of the essential employees might have need to, might have had to you know, stay behind in the office. Compliance is another area. Um, you know, typically there are going to be lots of policies that um, that would uh, you know comply with with local regulations and things. Um, people have definitely been thinking about those, but they're more of an issue when you're rolling this out over a long period of time. Where the real challenge is is around technology readiness and culture. If you're rolling out remote work very quickly, those are the two things that really differentiate whether someone can be successful in a remote working program or it completely fails. Um, so the, the emphasis has really been on those technological and, and cultural elements, um, to success.
0: And where does something like security fit in the mix there? Like, is that in the technology bucket, a clients bucket? How does that fit into the mix?
1: Um, you know, there are three major buckets in terms of essential technology for our remote workforce. One is around collaboration and productivity tools, everything that you would need from video conferencing to PowerPoint, to your word, those types of things, tools for file access and, and sharing. You might think of like a Um, You know, a file sync and share type of capability like a Dropbox um, or capabilities that would allow you to, um, you know, access a full operating system from a remote environment. Um, Things like virtual desktop infrastructure, for instance, um, a a very IT centric, you know, technology that some organizations have been using to give access to people that are outside of, um, you know, the the corporate uh, network. But security is that third bucket and security is going to be really, really important. And there are a couple of security technologies that are of utmost importance in the remote working environment. One is the VPN, of course, and that has surged in importance. It's kind of interesting when you think about this pandemic, how much of the nuts and bolts technology like VPN have come back um, have really come back to the attention of a lot of it decision makers so VPN has been the centerpiece of what's enabling remote workforces to to access those uh, resources securely Um, the other thing is multi-factor authentication so being able to have um, an additional prompt on your phone that would say um you know verify that you are who you are so you can access your cloud-based resources um and get what you need to get done um so that multi-factor authentication combined with vpn those are the two most important security um pieces of this there's also been you know new types of technologies you know if you're evaluating a new video conferencing solution or perhaps you're going to go and invest in a bunch of new devices you know the ability to um you know fully test those and do a full POC like you would normally, um, isn't something that organizations are really spending a lot of time on. So that's one of the significant challenges with rolling this out quickly is I'm finding a lot of our clients are coming back to me and saying, am I going to have to revisit these choices? three to four months from now to make sure that I've made the right decision. I had to move fast right now and I had to think less about security, but how can I make sure that um, I'm filling my gaps um, down the long-term of remote working if we continue to do this for the next three to four months?
2: That's definitely a little scary and something with the issues of Zoom in the news makes me wonder also if you have more employees than usual deciding which technologies they're gonna use versus using authorized technologies? Um, And if you've seen that on the rise at all, because of course that could lead to dangerous security and GDPR issues.
1: You know, I haven't seen it necessarily uh, from the clients that I've talked to, um, where they isolate that as as a specific challenge. We do know from our technographics data that um, if if an employee is going to circumvent a security policy, 39% Thirty-nine percent of the time, it's because they're trying to get done what they need to get done. So people will default to um, downloading additional software, uh, you know, or accessing particular files or using their own personal devices if they feel like it is infringing on their on their productivity. Um, so far, I haven't heard that as a major concern around, uh, from from companies. It's more around ensuring that. If any devices are connecting back to corporate resources, that security pros have some type of, um, you know, acknowledgement that that device is secure, it's compliant with policies, doesn't have any malware on it. That's the chief concern right now, in addition to making sure that employees aren't clicking on malicious links. So phishing is the other major security concern that's happening right now as well. Uh, we've seen a massive increase in phishing, people trying to take advantage of this entire pandemic. So those would be the two concerns that I've heard from security professionals that, that call on asking about remote working. How do I ensure that devices accessing my network network are safe? and how do I make sure that employees aren't uh, taking undue risks by clicking on links that could potentially harm them or harm the company?
2: I suppose that brings us a little bit circling back to culture um, and communication as well, right? In terms of, you touched on it briefly, you need a culture uh, set up properly for this. And I imagine that meant one thing um, before literally the entire company potentially was remote versus now. Can you talk a little bit about the culture pieces and which are the most important to really make this work?
1: Absolutely. So this is a significant challenge. Obviously, culture change does not happen overnight. Um, and, trying to, and trying to really change your culture in the span of two weeks to roll out remote working has been extremely difficult. And And frankly, most organizations that don't have a mature enough culture to support remote working are really, really struggling to make this happen. But there's really four things that I think about in terms of overall culture for success in a remote working environment. The number one most important thing above all else is trust. Um, And specifically, it's trust between the managers and their employees. What I'm hearing about a lot from our clients is if they haven't done the hard work of embedding trust in the working relationships between the employees and the employers, it's very difficult um, for that manager to feel like they can trust that employee in a remote working environment. The flip side is a very um, you know, scary thing for a remote worker is to always feel like I'm being questioned whether I'm being productive or not. That's a very stressful and anxious way to go about your working life. So it that trust component is really, really important. So what we've been talking to clients about a lot is think about what you're judging productivity on. We've had a lot of questions on what is actual productivity. It's not around activities. It's not how many emails you're answering a day, how many meetings you're showing up to. It's really about what outcomes are you driving for the business? So I've been having a lot of conversations with clients on what are you doing to help support an outcome driven culture versus an activity based culture where. Basically, my productivity is just sitting in front of my computer, as opposed to focusing on those things, which are most important for my work, which by the way, are the biggest drivers of employee engagement as well. Focusing on those things that are most important to my progress at work. So trust is definitely the most important thing. And I found a number of companies have been struggling with this, even in some cases um, you know, middle management, shaming employees, you know, for working from home, which is going to have really long-term effects on the employee experience. Trust is definitely the most important thing that I've seen out there. The other one that really comes up, especially during this, um, circumstances, empathy, um, and understanding that these are really unique times for employees. They're under a lot of stress. Some of them may have kids at home. Some of them may be taking care of a sick loved one, you know, What I tend to think about here is an interesting theory that we that a lot of our ex research pulls from, which is called jobs, demands and resources theory, which essentially says that if you want to drive engagement of your employees. The demands that you place on them have to be met with adequate resources to overcome those demands. So it's basically think of it as like a seesaw. If I have too many demands um, the resources become and not enough resources to balance that, I'm going to have a seesaw that's completely unbalanced. Right. So jobs, demands and resources theory in this particular instance we have a lot more demands on the employee, you know, from a personal perspective, from a societal perspective, a lot of people are working longer hours, uh, taking taking care of customers or, um, you know, working on things related to COVID-19. Um, and that places that uh, intense stress on them. So what we've been saying with a lot of our clients is the leaders need to take an empathetic approach and realize that this is a unique time Um, making sure that you're giving permission for people to, uh, to disconnect, to take time, to make sure that they are utilizing any vacation time that they might have, as well as giving them good guidance around how do you set up a routine for work from home? That's one of the biggest transition areas is you're used to one routine going into the office and then all of a sudden you switch. That can be very jarring and then it can add to those demands that those employees are facing. So leaders really need to be empathetic and provide good guidance to help employees have better resources to overcome these increased demands that they're facing right now so i would say trust and empathy are the number one things that we see as important particular to remote working in the pandemic environment there's also transparency and inclusion which are always really important in any remote working environment transparency is really around You know communicating where you're going to be at certain times when you're going to be taking time off um, communicating more frequently generally is a best practice for remote working Um, and that would apply as well in this circumstance as well Um, and the fourth is inclusion making sure that you have enough social connection especially in this environment where people are locked up in their houses uh, you know for weeks on end not seeing their friends not seeing their families the importance of social connection is even more important than it is and a normal remote working scenario and normal remote working scenario. Loneliness is actually the biggest challenge, uh, for remote workers. If you, um, according to some of the data that I've seen out there, not feeling connected, so it's up to the organization to provide those informal, um, you know, meetups to talk about things that aren't work related. Um, there's been a lot of really interesting ways that people have been doing this creative ways, um, you know, whether that's having a daily stand up meeting to just talk about. Random things that are on people's mind, or just setting aside time to do something special. Uh, I think one of the really cool things that Forrester has done has been this tiny concert series where people are just recording, um, you know, little concerts and things from their home. It's a good way to increase morale and keep people connected. So trust, transparency, inclusion, and empathy, I think, are the keys from a cultural perspective to making this successful.
0: And as we think about sort of a recovery, period, Andrew. I mean, I assume that these tenants hold true as you're transitioning the workforce, um, or potentially a portion of your workforce back into uh, an office situation so that there's continued communication, transparency, how we're going to be going about doing this and who's going where and doing what as well. So, because I feel like obviously we're in the thick of of the pandemic right now, but leaders should be thinking about what is that next step and kind Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, do these tenants hold true. And if they do like continue to double down on them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think all of the, the imperatives for, for culture are going to apply, um, transparency, I think becomes even more important as you start to say, why are we bringing certain people back versus not other people i've talked to a number of clients that are starting to think about recovery you know do i bring back a certain portion of the workforce on monday and wednesday and i bring back another portion on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, and being very transparent about what is my approach for who comes back and who doesn't, I think is going to be really important. And empathy, I think, is going to continue to be super important because there are going to be employees who still are going to be worried about, you know, I'm living with an elderly, um, you know, my elderly mother or my elderly father, things of that nature. And they don't want to be subjected to coming into a social environment where they could perhaps bring that back. So I think there's also going to have to be a little bit more empathy to take a take into account a lot of those unique needs that employees are going to have. Um, so, absolutely, these are definitely going to continue going forward as as people intend to recover.
2: What are your thoughts on the the word productivity? And I know you said it's about outcomes, not activities. I see in the data that you cited earlier that. People are feeling more productive. They're getting used to working at home and they're feeling more air quote productive. But then you've also talked about people have little ones at home or taking care of people. And it feels, at least to me, that people are just working really hard around the clock at everything. And how long can this sort of heightened level of productivity go on?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. You know, I think being overloaded and, and going for you know, 15, 16 hours a day straight um, is not going to be a sustainable practice all of the psychological research points to the value of of breaks and and disconnecting from work and not checking emails after work Um, it 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 impacts your ability to focus and and give all of your cognitive resources to your most important tasks in the next day so there's going to be um there's going to be a breaking point at some point where um people are really going to need to take a step back here um, and recharge before they're able to give them their full selves to work but I think the, the productivity aspects in terms of generally remote working, um, you know, the distractions that I think about in remote working are different from the ones in the office. You know, the ones that you would encounter at home are, are mostly going to be ones that are relatively welcome, things that you're getting you know, kind of attracted to. Um, and I tend to think of those as, you know, those are opportunities to give your brain a rest and take a break from something, whether that's, you know, you have you know, a guitar near you, or something like that. That 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 maybe um, is a break from that that productivity in the office. The distractions, I think, are much different, and they contribute to that overall, um, you know, lack of productivity. It could be, you know, coworkers you know, talking loudly or in, in coming up to your desk and interrupting you. Those types of things. Um, So I think generally speaking, the remote office environment is much more conducive to that high focus work, which we know is um, really important for actually focusing on those things that are that are most important for my job. So I think that's why you start to see thirty five percent of workers, um, you know, say they're not as productive working from home. The vast majority of them are saying that they are more productive when they're working from home is because they have, um, you know, more capabilities that separate themselves from some of the distractions that they have in, in the working environment.
0: So Forrester's established four phases of the pandemic. So phase one and two um, are infection and social distancing. This is sort of the current phases that we're dealing with now. But Andrew, as we move into phases three and four, management and eradication, what do you expect to to see Um, during those phases, maybe across a few of the things that we've discussed, whether it's technology, um, culture, so on and so forth.
1: So there's a couple of different things that I expect to see as we start moving through these different phases. In the management phase, particularly on the IT side, I think you're going to see a lot of IT decision makers saying, have we set up the environment correctly to support remote working for the long period of time? Is there a better way that we could have done what we had to just do? I think what's on a lot of people's mind is this um, next potential infection that may happen in November and December. And let's say people start to go back to the office over the summer. Am I able to transition that workforce to a remote environment very quickly and easier than I did in the past. And there's a couple of different things that I think IT organizations are going to be looking at. One, is there an easier way to give remote access? Can I do it via the cloud instead of having to um, upgrade all my VPN servers and spend an entire weekend taking a bunch of computers that I've received from my manufacturer and making sure that they're ready to ship out to employees? Is there an easier way that I can manage devices, spin up access to uh, cloud resources, make sure that I have the right security in place to roll this out very quickly? Because it might come down to the fact that as people come in, um, that they're going to have to go back very quickly. So I think a lot of IT organizations are going to start to think about how do I become a little bit faster, a little bit more agile in terms of how I can transition this workforce from the office um, to home and back again very quickly. The cultural elements as well, you know, related to some of the productivity elements of this, I think what we're going to start to see um, is evidence of burnout, um, you know, across different uh, populations of the workforce, people working over hours, people working at home with kids, not taking a break. I think one of the things that we've started to see and hear about sort of anecdotally from clients is this concept of like Zoom fatigue, right? Being on video conference every single day uh, for eight to 10 hours a day? Um, how does that impact your ability to sleep at the end of the night? I think we're gonna to start to see some, some real impacts in terms of the usage and of technology, um, you know, it, and over usage of being kind of connected to that overall technology environments. So that's why I think it's so important for those leaders now to have that conversation around, how are you separating your work in your life how are you taking care of your own your own self outside of the context of your working environment so i think management phase that's what it's going to look like as we move towards the fourth phase which is really around eradication where we start to see this vaccine become available i think one of the things that we're going to start to think about is the return um, to the office On mass, and what do IT organizations, what do HR leaders need to think about as people come back? I've had a number of conversations where organizations are already thinking about how am I going to sanitize all these PCs and mice and keyboards and monitors and things that are coming back into my office? How am I going to set up the physical workspace? Am I going to have six feet between each desk that I have out there? Does open concept even make sense anymore, given that uh, you know, we don't really know what the, what the future of this um, you know, pandemic is going to be like? Um, so there are a lot of questions in terms of um, the sanitation of uh, technology resources, but also the design of the physical uh, workspace. From an HR perspective, I think one of the things is around how do I create more structure around remote working? Obviously, I'm not going to be able to allow every single person to work from home unless I'm a 100% 1st remote first company, which those do exist. Um, But I probably want to have some type of structure around flexible work styles, whether that's having people have the option to work from home one day a week or two days per week. Or maybe they work from home four days per week and they come into the office one day or they have flexible hours coming in late and leaving later in the day. So I think there's going to be a big discussion around, okay, we need to be able to support remote working from a cultural perspective and we need to be able to turn on a dime if we have some more structure around different types of work styles so that at least everybody has some experience working remotely. It's not going to be as big of a challenge when we have to go back.
0: So Andrew, if you have... Just one piece of advice for leaders today, given the remote work environment, what would it be?
1: So I think the number one thing that leaders need to think about as part of this entire process is empathy. And I think it all goes back to empathy. If you don't have empathy right now, it's going to leave a lasting stain on your employee experience. The human brain is conditioned evolutionarily to remember negative events, and if they perceive their treatment during this COVID-19 pandemic as being less than empathetic, they're going to remember that for a long period of time, and that has ramifications not just for your employee experience, the people that you have now, but your brand perception as those employees leave your company and go talk about your company and other places. Um, It'll have uh, ramifications on your company's customers if they hear how you're treating your employees. So the number one thing right now is give people permission to take care of themselves, take care of their families make sure they have enough energy to recharge and be as productive as they can be. I think at the end of the day, you're going to get more productivity out of a person if you allow them the space they need to recharge themselves than you would be if you were just to increase the demands on their working time. So that would be my number one um, piece of advice for leaders. And of course, we're going to be continuing to monitor the experience of employees through the Pandemic EX survey. We're continuing to do that every two weeks, um, and actually we've rolled it out past just US workers alone, so looking at other geographies as well. So if you're listening in from outside of the US, um, we also have some data for, for Europe too. Uh, so that definitely keep that in mind. We're also going to be continuing a lot of research on the remote work piece and we're gonna to continue to help as much as we can and um, we look forward to, to working with uh, all of our prospective clients.
0: Great, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for
2: having me.
0: Thanks, Andrew. To stay on the pulse of employee sentiment during the coronavirus pandemic and gain the latest insights from our global pandemic EX surveys, visit our COVID-19 hub at forr.com slash COVID-19. That's forr.com slash COVID-19.